today is the final day of our sermon series of, of Love Reigns. We've been challenging ourselves to, uh, ourselves to, you know, have the Lord incorporate into every area of our life, to reign over every area of our life. Uh, life. And the first week we challenged uh, uh, and we celebrated uh, the, the life and the death of, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter. And we celebrate the resurrection because it's proof that Jesus is the true king and has authority over all things. And when we obey Jesus, we experience all that life has for us. We experience a life that God wants for us when we celebrate that fact, when we obey him. The second week, we looked at how God's love reigns over our past, that, that we all have different things in our past that, that we wish we wouldn't have done or, or that, that you know, carved us down a path or taken us down a path of destruction that, that the Lord had to dig us back out of and so forth, and that we can, we can give that over to God and we can just lay it at his feet and forget about it and move forward. And that's a key because some of us like to live in that past. Some of us like to live right there. And God's going, no, 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 Alan, I got that. Move forward. Move forward. Last week, we discovered that, that God's love gives us promise for our present, that we can make choices, one choice after another, to create a healthier pattern in our life, that if we see a negative pattern, we got to change that pattern, and we take one step, one good decision, and then we look back, and we go, wow, that worked out well. And we make another good decision. And eventually we, we, eventually we can look back and go, I can't even see where I came from. And I'm on a good path because it's been one good decision after another. And, and that's a pattern that we need to, to look at when we renew our minds and we live in obedience to God. The final week of our series, I want to speak about allowing God to, you know, his love to reign in our future. We all want to know the future, don't we? Do you remember when you were a little kid? Now, I'm going to dare say everyone here can remember this because it came out in the 50s. And I know when I was a little kid, it was still around. So you like how I did that, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the magic eight ball? I mean, all sorts of questions that we have about the future, you know, shake it up and, and look at it. And it's, you know, floating in this mysterious blue kind of waterish goo. And, and, and you know, ask, you know, questions like uh, whether the, the middle school, uh, you know, girl that I have a crush on, whether she likes me. You know, and oddly enough, it always gave me the answer, don't count on it. You know, I, I didn't understand why, you know. I'd ask about how my grades were going to turn out, and the answer would be, better not tell you now, you know. I mean... Ask about the future, and it would respond, ask again later. you just like, it's so frustrating, you know? But we all had one. We all knew what it was, this little toy that came out in the 50s. It's a telltale sign that our culture takes a keen interest in the future. We've all wondered from time to time about what the future might hold for us. And I talk about that in any, any marriage ceremony I do. I talk about the future and talk about we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but God is in the center of it and he holds on to us. Sometimes we wonder about the future because our, our current situation is painful. Have you ever been there, your current situation? You know, maybe you're there right now. It's painful. And we want to get to the other side of that difficulty and whatever's going on. Sometimes we wonder because we're excited about something. 
about the possibilities before us. You know, like a good vacation's coming up and you just can't think, you know, can't stop thinking about it. You know, I think about uh, uh, going fishing in, in Canada uh, for, for the amount of time that I think about that uh, all year long because we go yearly. Uh, I, I think I spend less time actually in Canada than I do thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's such a great trip. It's such a wonderful time with family and, and friends. We're excited about it. But either way, our curiosity about the future can sometimes slip into an unhealthy obsession. We like to call this worry. <laughs> Any worries here? You don't have to raise your hand. Don't worry, I'm not going to call you out. Sorry, I had to go there, you know. <laughs> but worry is this all-consuming use of time and energy and attention on things that we cannot control. We worry about things that we just don't have the control over. We worry about our finances. We worry about our family. We worry about our job. We worry about getting sick. We worry about everything. Is anybody worried about coronavirus this last year? You know? Some people over-worry on that, just like we over-worry about many other things. So I think it's important for us to identify what we worry about. Now, in the Greek, the, the word worry, it means to, to pull apart or pull in opposite directions at the same time, which is exactly what worry you know, does to us. It pulls us apart at the same time in opposite directions, and we can't accomplish anything at that point because all we're doing is thinking. Worry in the dictionary is from a German root of worgen. It means to strangle or to choke, which fits right into this because worry strangles us into inaction because it affects us so much. To harass, to trouble, to nag. So next time your spouse is nagging you, you can respond, honey. Now, I kept this generic. I'm not saying men or women. I'm just, I said spouse, you know. Don't worry me today is what you need to tell them. Worry means to re repeatedly disturb. It's what siblings do to each other. You know, I got, <laughs> it's so funny with Brandon and Grayson sometimes. They just start pushing each other's buttons, and you're just like, stop it, you know, as a parent. Now, the opposite of this is, well, not really the opposite, but a, another idea of this is if you go to the Internet, you will find other things to worry about, won't you? You know, sometimes worrying is imagining life how you, you know, how, how you want it to be. Or maybe worrying is imagining life how you don't want it to be. The most common form of thinking is the, the what-if thinking. Well, what if I stumble in this presentation that I'm supposed to give in front of all these people? What if my boss gets mad at me? What if I, I do so terrible that I get fired? What if I don't have enough money? What, if all that happens, then what if they foreclose on my house? You see how we can just dig ourselves in and we go from one step to another step to another step, and all of a sudden we're homeless. And you're like going, all you're trying to do is give a five-minute presentation. But we've gone all the way to homeless because our mind worries. A talented worrier can wreck the whole day uh, maybe the whole week, and 10 minutes of what if. Jesus says, you need to get a hold of the what ifs of your life. You need to hand those over to me. 
Now, it's true, all those things could happen. The problem is that there's a chain of events that would have to happen exactly. I mean, one thing may happen, but not the 47 other steps that your mind just went to. See, the problem is that our worrying does not improve our situation at all. The only way to truly cure the sickness of worry is to trust in the love of God that he rules in our lives and our future. A talented whatever can do this to any topic. A young, young uh, man can go, wow, there's a pretty girl over there. I, I should go talk to her. Then they go, now what if I trip when I go over there? What, what if I can't think of the right thing to say or I say it wrong? Or she gets, you know, you know, or she goes out with me and then she doesn't want to do a second date and, and then word gets around and, and I never get another date and I will die alone. I mean, you see, the, the warrior does these big leaps and steps and they think of something. Now I'm using crazy examples because uh, uh, I don't, some of you may be of dating age, but you know what I'm saying. What if... Now, what if, is it ever good? Well, yeah, it can do. It can do good things in our lives. What if I quit smoking? Well, you might live longer. What if I take care of my cholesterol? What if I stop eating this? Or what if I continue eating this? What would happen? And it may change our direction. So sometimes it can, the what if idea can be a healthy thing. But worry does a lot of things to us. And Jesus comes to speak to us about worry. Let's break it down. What does worry do to us? And I just came up with a list of, oh, I don't know, seven, eight things here. It robs us of life. We're not going to have as much fun as all, if we're just like worrying about all these small things. And then a worrier will think that everybody else is worrying just as much as I worry about, so it's okay. And then if you're married to somebody who doesn't worry at all, that worries you a little bit. You know what I'm saying? It makes you mad. Why aren't you worried about this? Number two, worry holds us back. It keeps us from trying new things. It keeps us from risking things in life, from doing different things. It paralyzes us. Now, I have one son that he's a conundrum to me sometimes because he worries about certain things, yet he's a risk taker, and I, I just don't get that. Number three, it wastes the precious moments of our lives. I can worry about all the things my sons can do wrong and not enjoy the fun moments of the here and now. Right now I'm in the middle of uh, building a play structure in my backyard and, and I've, of course I've done it the Allen way, I've complicated it. I've dug out an area of grass and I'm putting in some uh, more sand and dirt just to get it out, you know, because the mower ruined the last one because he kept weeding, eating around the edges, and, and now it's the pole that's a four by four is now like a two by two, and the thing's ready to fall over. So I'm building it so he can't do that anymore, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But I can sit there and worry about what if my boys go out in the backyard? What if the play structure falls down? What if they go down the slide too fast? 
What if one's on the swing and the other one walks in front of them? You see what I'm saying? We can build up these different worries and it holds us back and it, and it keeps us from, from being in that moment and that time to enjoy. We need to not distract ourselves from the now by thinking about the what if and what could happen or what might happen. A lot of what ifers over prepare for life. I need this, I need this, I need this, and do I have everything? And this becomes a burden sometimes to them and everyone around them based all on worry. Number four, it wor- you know, worry wrecks relationships. Because you can never relax if you, you know, worry. You're always thinking. You're always thinking about the negative. You can drive away good friends. Who likes to be around a person who's overprepared and worries all the time? I don't see any hands going up. Okay, Bob, one, one hand. Okay. He's sort of kind of, you know. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, it can, be, it can be daunting if you're a friend of somebody who worries a lot because it, it, they get you worrying, you know. <laughs> and then you worry about their worrying, you know. Worrying can attract the wrong people. Get all the warriors together in a room and, oh, man, run if you can. You know what I'm saying? Fifth one, worry causes us to overreact and act paranoid. You ever known somebody worries and they just act paranoid? It causes what we said in number four. It wrecks relationships. Number six, worry damages our health and costs us time in this life. It's actually proven that a person that, that over-worries, literally, their bodies deteriorate quicker. Their lifespan is not as long because of that. An illness can be brought on because of that through worry. Number seven, worry convinces the brain that something is wrong. Think about that for a second. You convince yourself, so therefore your brain starts working that something is, is wrong. And the brain is just like any other organ, but it's unique in what it does. If you're worried, the brain will start a countdown, uh, countdown where it protects the body. It's called fight or flight. So the adrenaline is produced in your body. And even though you don't need the adrenaline, it can cause what's called panic attacks because you're worrying. So for 30 minutes to two hours, it takes your body to get over this panic attack. And you can't accomplish sleep. You can't accomplish other things because you're worrying. That's what worry causes. Some people worry so much that they worry that they're not worrying about something. It becomes a habit to worry. So let's talk a little bit about some myths of worry. Some people feel, uh, the, some people are worried that I'm not going to get through the sermon. I get that. But some people feel that, that if I worry about something long enough, that I will fix it. It doesn't work that way. If I worry, then I will accomplish something. No. Worry improves how important it is to me. Not really. But I'm supposed to worry about those that I love. Yeah, but you can go too far. See, I can live my life worrying about all these things that could happen to Brandon and Grayson and miss out on the fun and here and now. And we talked about that. But the diff- there's a difference between worry and concern. Concern is a healthy thing. We have a hot tub on the side of our house. I'm concerned. I had two young 
kids, now they're getting a little older, but two young kids, I put a gate on the side of the house. Why? Out of concern. Or you could substitute the word worry there if you wanted to, but really concern is, is the, the better wor- word. I'm concerned that they would actually get into it and fall in and not be able to breathe and, you know, go from there. So you do something about it. But worrying would be constantly thinking that if he's going over there, and something's going to happen. Worrying would be I'd stay up late and, and think of, about all the different possibilities and the ways that they might get over there. Do you see the difference between concern and worry? Concern is you do something about it. Done, fixed. Worrying is thinking of all the different ways and staying up and just thinking about it over and over and over and over. So what do we do? We need to pray and have positive action. The key word is positive. The healthy form of worrying is not really worrying, it's the word concern. And we have to pray about that concern. Just because we worry about something doesn't mean that we love somebody more or love it more. Worrying is like an an Italian mom that keeps feeding her 700-pound child, you know, oh, you're not getting enough food. If you're worried about something, do this. You pray through it. You pray through it. You can help the person you're worried about by praying for them. And it helps you get you to a point that you understand that God is in control of your future. Matthew 6 says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food, and the body more than, than clothes. Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you so much, are you, are, are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You know, even though this passage of Scripture was written nearly 2,000 years ago, I think it fits so well today in our society. Just turn on the news, right? No matter whether you want to look at at this point of view or that point of view on news, it is going to be negative. I can guarantee you that. This this Scripture also shows me that human nature has a sense of anxiety about our future. But I want you to understand, God sees you. And that's what's important in this. Jesus tells us not to worry about our life. We need to not worry about our daily needs. We need to not worry about our, our, our daily wants. The reason he gives is because our lives are made up of more than just physical desires. God offers proof for his ability to provide for us if we follow his plan. He points to the birds in the air, and I'm going to point to the birds that are in our class at the top that keep chirping that we hear every Sunday. God provides for them. God gives them food. These tiny little winged animals are not worried about their their needs for tomorrow, but God still provides their needs for today. 
If God takes care of the sparrows of the world and the birds and, and all the different, my, my son loves bugs right now, one of them does. He likes to point out every one of them. If you're outside, forget it. If it's a walk, it's going to take forever because he's going to find every bug. God takes care of those little bugs. But even though we may bug each other, we're much more, much more cared for by God. You know, Jesus reminds us of our incredible worth in our life. You are worth something, and God sees you. He sees us. We are loved by God, and therefore, he will provide for us today. Our future is in good hands because it's a God that, that it controls everything, and we must allow ourselves to trade what we know about the future for what we, or what we don't know about the future for what we do know about the love of God and that he has it for us. He loves you so much, he's going to take care of you. Worthy is not worth it because it, it does not add any hours to our life. If anything, it takes away from it. It reminds me of a, a, you know, the line in the Lord's Prayer that, that is prayed in churches around the world. That, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need today. When's the last time you prayed that to God? God, just give me what, what I need today. Take care of me today. But instead, we're worried about all the different stuff. We need to trust God that he has our future in his hands. Because we're so tempted to take that future into our own hands. We need to say, God, just give me enough for today. It is how we learn to trust God. Even when we don't know what's around the corner. Even when we don't understand what the future holds, trusting God for the future instills this deep hope within us that he is there and he sees us and he's gone before us. You ever find yourself listening to talk radio or watching the news? I mean, at first it's not that big of a deal, but eventually it gets you to notice all the negative things that are happening in this world and you start to get anxious about the things that, that they've just discussed. Talks about political devices, uh, divisiveness. Or the struggling economy or, or potential wars. It can become too much for some of us to handle. And we start to experience true anxiety because everything seems so out of control when we focus on this world. But that's the problem. We're focused on this world and not on God. When we focus on him, we start to see that he is in control. These things might happen in the world. They're going to happen in the world, but he is still in control, and we hold on to that hope because he sees us. Everybody knows the famous verse in 20, you know, Jeremiah 29 11, and I love, the, the, I love 12 and 13 that goes beyond just 11. It goes... For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And this is the important part. Then you will call on me and come and pray with me or pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's a call to action. 
God has plans for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us. He gives us a hope of that future, and therefore we respond and we seek him out. God has prepared a future that he longs for you to live on and to hold to. We need to experience that. But oftentimes we begin to let it go and try to take control back. But we need to submit to him and allow him to lead in our life. And worrying about the future does not have any positive effects. It only, comes, it only causes us to become paralyzed by fear. The question is, how do you know when opportunities of the future come about, are they God's plans? There's three simple questions that you can ask to, you know, ask yourself to help you determine whether God is in this part and leading you in this life. One, does it, does it align with Scripture? See, we have to understand, oftentimes, if, if we think God is in something and it goes against Scripture, guess what? <laughs> that is not of God. God is not involved in it. Would you be violating some type of a direction that's already been given in God's Word? If so, there's a good chance that God's not there. Secondly, will the opportunity make me more like Jesus? He loves the stairs, by the way. I know that's where he's coming. Well, the opportunity, and, and this is, we love children, so I know the parents are freaking out and worrying. Don't worry. You like how I tied that in there? Okay. <laughs> Secondly, will the opportunity make me more like Jesus? If I take part of this activity, or if I, I make decision, will I become more Christ-like in it? Will it help shape me and mold me to, to become more like God, and more like the person that God desires me to be? If, that's, if there's a good chance of that, then God is probably in those plans. Thirdly, will this opportunity benefit others? What? You mean it's not all about me? Exactly. Sometimes God gives us opportunities so it'll benefit other people. It will result in a, in a blessing of other people around you. I, uh, the, the other day I was watching a news program and, and, and the question came up, would you rather receive $50,000 or would you rather have your friend receive $500,000? That's a good question, isn't it? I mean, we know we're most, I mean, well, you know, we, we would all think, oh, we'd love to be the, oh, that's so cool, 500, that half a million dollars, that's so cool. But we're all thinking in the back of our mind, but $50,000, I could do this, I could do that. Does it benefit other people? To discover God's plan for our future is to live into the purpose from which we were born. So we have to figure that out. You know, Mark Twain said, uh, the two most important days of your life is the day that you were born and the day when you figured out why. Hmm. Your future is tied to your purpose of God's plan for your life. He sees us and he plans for us. That brings us to seeking God first. 
Jesus gave a way to ensure that our future falls in line with his will and his desires for our life. It's about priorities. Some of us, our priorities focus on the wrong things. Have you ever had your priorities kind of screwed up? Where you're focused on one thing and you finally realize, I'm focusing on the wrong thing here. Or somebody comes in and says, why are you thinking about that? You need to be over here. Usually it's because we're nervous about the future. Matthew 6, 28 says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the field or the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will not much, uh, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love that last. Each day has enough trouble of its own, right? Verse 33 says that we should seek God's kingdom first. This should be our priority, living to, to see the kingdom of God come to this earth through us and, and through the body of Christ. It should be a defining aspect of our lives. Rather, many of us are, are more focused on increasing the popularity or in status on social media. You know, the younger generation, you know, finally uh, getting the house on the lake that we truly love or, or, or getting that boat that we all desire These things are not bad unto themselves, but they can cause us to veer off track of what God intends for our life and where he wants us to progress. Jesus says if we seek God first, then everything else will fall into place. And guess what? If our priorities are God's priorities, then those things that don't matter seem to go away. The things that we sought after, we start to realize, I don't really need that in my life because that's not what God wants for me, and I want what God wants. When we seek God first is when we come across a new relationship with him. We start to live life humbly, and we become known for that. When we seek God first, his desires You know, it's, we have so many different desires. Some of our lives fill up first with worldly desires and wants. Have you ever had a jar and you're trying to fit everything in the jar? You know, it's the old trick of you've you got a whole bunch of small pebbles and you've got some big rocks and you're supposed to put them in the jar. How do you fit it all in the jar? You put all the small pebbles first and then you try to put the big rocks in. Guess what? They don't fit. But if you put the big rocks in first, and then you dump all the little rocks, they fill in all the spaces around those rocks, and guess what? It all fits in the jar. That's our lives. The big rocks is what God's plans are. 
and can all fit in if, if we put God in first, if he's a priority. This is why Jesus says, put the kingdom of God first, because everything else can be added to our lives once he's the center of our life. So don't worry about the future. It's in God's hands. Besides, Jesus says that today has enough things going on to be concerned about tomorrow. You know, most of the things we spend time worrying about never come to pass anyway. You ever thought about that? You've worried, you've worried, you've worried, you've worried, and then you finally get over the hump or get over whatever it is, and you look back and you go, oh, this didn't happen, that didn't happen, that, well, that didn't, uh, I shouldn't have been worrying. We only have so many days of our lives. <laughs> Think about that for a second. God knows the number of our days. We don't. We don't. The author of Psalms 90 had this concept in mind when he wrote Psalms 90:12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I was talking to our neighbor kid the other day. He's 18 and he works for his dad's company. And he's finally getting a paycheck. Very excited about it. And I started talking to him about the future. I said, well, if you start saving now, start a Roth IRA or whatever, you won't have to worry about money. And he's like, what? He'd never heard the concept. And we start talking about, you know, how money can compound. And if you put in this much money and, and later in life, you know, you can retire and you will have a big chunk of money if, if the Lord wants you to live that long. You know what I'm saying? You know, and you'll have this chunk of money that you can live on. And I said, ask any older person. Go ask your parents. Go ask your grandma that lives down the street. Go ask anybody if they wish they would have started saving money when they were younger and see what their answer would be. Now let me ask you, would you have rather started a little earlier than what you did? <laughs> I see all the heads going up and down, right? Yeah. It's called wisdom. I know every so often I do have a little bit of wisdom. I get that. But we need to number our days and gain a heart of wisdom, it says. See, the author's writing a prayer. He's asking for awareness of his life, the days of his life in a manner that, that honors God and honors people. A survey several years ago, you know, talked about uh, how people spend their lives. And, and they did the survey. In a lifetime, an average American will spend six months sitting at stoplights. Yay for stoplights. You know, one year looking for misplaced objects. And the older you get, the more time you do that. You know what? I don't, I don't get that. Two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. Four years of doing housework. Five years of waiting in line. I guess the four years of doing housework depends on if you're a man or a woman and how your household works. But we won't go there. Five years of waiting in line and six years eating. As you live your life, it's important to ask if the places that your time, energy, attention, and affection go toward are the most important places that they should be going toward. 
You know, I've heard that it said the only thing that will matter in 100 years from now will be people's relationships with God. Think about that for a second. In 100 years from now, will anything you own matter? No. But your relationship with God will matter because you'll be in heaven or you'll be in hell. That's what's important. You know, last week I, I did a summary of the sermon. I think I'll do it again this week. Too many people are consumed with worry and anxiety about what tomorrow might hold. The fear of that can be paralyzing. As Christians, we believe that our loving Heavenly Father is always looking out for us. He takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the fields, and this gives us confidence that he takes care of us also. He sees us. He understands us. There's no benefit in worry. In fact, it's the opposite. It only hurts us. And we should trust in God and allow him to guide our steps. So therefore, we should think, I don't have control of the future, only God does. And we should feel that my heavenly Father is looking out for me and will provide my needs. So therefore, what should we do? We turn our worries into prayers and trust in God's plan for our life. Seems simple, but it takes a lifetime, doesn't it? Why don't you stand and we'll pray as the worship team comes and leads us out with the last song. Lord, we, we worry way too much. We understand this. We know this. Lord, I pray that you help us give those worries over to you. You help us bring those things and lay them down before you at the cross. That as we communicate with you that our relationships are being built on, on the foundation of what you've done for our life. That ultimately we know we're going to heaven so we don't have to worry as much as we think. I pray that we can concentrate on the goodness of this life, Lord that we can see you guide us when we seek you first. And I pray for those that, that haven't been seeking you, that they would make that pattern to be evident, that they would take that one step towards you. And we know you will respond, and that they would take another step towards you. Lord, I pray for those that, that, that have a desire to seek you more, that, that they will see the evidence of that as you respond. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May he bless you this week as you worry a little less. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.